welcome to Donnell Edwards' Viewpoints, where your viewpoint matters. Donnell discusses today's major issues and concerns with nationally recognized expert guests, as well as a variety of other interesting topics. So call and express your viewpoint about this week's topic or whatever else may be of concern to you. Just call Donnell at 563-999-3660 to share your viewpoint. Now, with this week's guest, here is your viewpoint host, Donnell Edwards. Good evening. This is uh, Donnell Edwards, and welcome to Donnell Edwards' Viewpoints. Thank you for taking time out of your evening to join us for tonight's program. And uh, we hope you had a wonderful day. And we do promote and encourage uh, lifestyles that are productive and healthy. So we hope you were able to spend some time in your happy place today. Now, we strive to provide you with uh, news, information, and life empowerment strategies. And we hope that our efforts are being effective in making a difference in your life and in your choices. We have an outstanding program for you this evening. We'll get into that in just a few moments. Now, every week we attempt to provide you, our listeners, with news and information about important causes, issues, and life empowerment. This week's program is very special because of the current events taking place in our country regarding immigration and the Central American Migrant March. About 800 migrants are now in the Mexican border city of Tijuana after a month of traveling away from poverty and violence in their homes in hopes of entering the United States. Many of them have said they will stay there in Tijuana and wait for the rest of their caravan to arrive and for leaders to advise them on their options for seeking U.S. asylum. The bulk of the migrant group, about 4,000 people, mostly from Honduras, is making its way through the state of Sonora and is expected to arrive in Tijuana in a few days. Our special guest for tonight's show is profoundly qualified since she is an immigration attorney. She's been living in the United States since her family immigrated from Mexico when she was four years old. After graduating from the University of California, San Diego, with a degree in political science, she attended Cleveland Marshall Law School and opened up her first law office in 2016. She is also one of six DACA recipients, and we'll talk more about that, uh, which, uh, uh, who have sued the uh, Trump administration over its efforts to rescind the, the DACA program. We encourage you to call in with your comments or questions about this important issue tonight. Our number is 563-999-3660. That number again is 563-999-3660. Please join me in welcoming to Donnell Edwards Viewpoints and the CWR Talk Network, immigration attorney and activist, Ms. Dulce Garcia. Welcome, Dulce. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, would you please uh, explain what DACA is and who DREAMers are and what the DREAMers movement is all about? Right. Well, DACA stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. 
And this program was announced on June 15, 2012 by President Obama. Um, and this program came about from a long uh, fight. You know, we started fighting for uh, protection from deportation uh, around 2001 um, as, a, as a collective effort. Uh, the word dreamer wasn't coined until uh, many years of fighting. Um, we had been fighting for protection from deportation, uh, and you know we have come close. Uh, we have had several bills um, before passed in the House, uh, but nothing, no, no, no uh, bill made it through the Senate. So, in 2012, President Obama instituted this program, and because we didn't get a, a Dream Act in place that would give us a path to citizenship. Um, it was very limited. The DACA program uh, provides a work permit for us, but it doesn't provide a path to citizenship. And there are requirements. There are several requirements. Uh, to start off, we have to pay a filing fee of $495. We go through an extreme vetting process, uh, a, a background check. Um, and it only applies for those of us that came in as children. So one of the requirements is that we must have come to the U.S. before reaching the age of 16. Um, and then we need to have been here the date that the announcement was made on June 15, 2012. And we had to have been residing in the U.S. since 2007. So those of us that benefit from this program, from the DACA program, have been in the U.S. for at least 10 years now. Um, and one of the other requirements is that we must be enrolled or have graduated from high school. Um, and so this, this program, really what it comes down to is we pay for the privilege to be here in the U.S., to be safe from deportation, and to work. So this work permit allows us to reach our educational, economic, and human potential by allowing us access to things like a credit card, um, to go to school, open bank accounts, establish credit, open a business. Uh, in my case, I'm a property owner uh, and a business owner as well. I have my law practice, and I employ you as citizens. So I'm paying uh, for the privilege to work and for the privilege to contribute to our economy. Um, but it doesn't provide a path to citizenship. I am not a legal permanent resident. So it doesn't really give us um, a permanent protection from deportation. It doesn't really give, give us status. Um, it's just a work permit that is renewable every two years. So we pay, for example, into the Social Security system, but we can't get a single dollar from it. Ever. Okay, that's very interesting, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about more later on. But uh, just to uh, go back and revisit some of the things that you mentioned, uh, this this fee that I believe is four hundred ninety-five dollars. Uh, do other people who are coming into the country, like the, uh, for example, the Central American migrants, would they go through this same vetting process? And would they have to pay uh, some type of fee for entry into the United States? For asylum seekers, uh, they go through a very different process. The law is very different. Um, this program for DACA specifically is for those of us that are already here in the U.S. Right? So okay. we must have been already in the U.S. prior to June 15, 2007. Um, and we pay this, this fee um, and we go through this extreme vetting process. Um, but part of that is showing where we have been since we came into the U.S. 
Um, and, and asylum seekers, uh, their requirements are very di different, and they don't have to prove that they have been in here uh, in, the, in the U.S., but they do also go through a vetting process as well. Uh, no one is allowed to just come in, knock on a door, and then let them in. Uh, they go through a very rigorous process. We don't welcome them with arms wide open, um, and we don't <laughs> necessarily open them with smile, uh, welcome them with smiles the way we should be uh, in a compassionate manner. Instead, and, and particularly with this administration, what we're doing with asylum seekers is actually pretty horrific uh, when they have to uh, endure family separation at the border. Uh, you know, we see images of kids in cages, um, and then later um, the president, after so much um, uproar from the community and um, political pressure, finally caved in and changed the policy from uh, detaining kids to uh, detaining families together. Um, so these families, when they come and present themselves at the border, they have to, um, you know, go and question whether they want to go through this process where they're going to be separated uh, and detained um, and, and or stay in our home country. And, and we know, and in, in, in I, I think we're going to get into that a little bit later, but um, they're fleeing from, from something. Um, they're fleeing, um, most of them, from uh, civil unrest and, and violence. And, and so for, for them to make the decision to travel for so many miles, come to our border, and then be placed on a detention center, um, eventually uh, those that, that would qualify for asylum are, are, and, and pass through the first steps would uh, likely end up in a shelter or with family members in the, on this side of the border. Uh, but that takes time. Um, and, and with DACA recipients, uh, those of us that are DACA recipients, we have been in the country uh, for some of us, in my case, for example, for 30 years. This is all I know. This is my home. A lot of us came in as babies, and we don't have um, knowledge of, of our home countries, really. We don't know what it's like to, to be, for example, in my case, in Mexico. Um, the, the, this is my country here in the U.S. because it's all I know. Um, it's where I have been since I was four years old. Um, so it's a, it's a very different process. Um, but uh, to answer your question, yes, everybody goes through a vetting process. Uh, there's no such thing as just coming across the border uh, without going through a rigorous background check. Okay. Now, uh, just so that everyone listening understands, what you're saying is that you have been here for practically all of your life. Uh, you've been in the country for 30 years, and uh, because you were brought into the country uh, illegally or un you're undocumented, uh, whatever term people choose to use, uh, you could be deported to a country that you know very little about. That's exactly okay. right. Uh, DACA was was uh, keeping me here in the U.S. Essentially, uh, it was a promise um, renewable every two years that I would not be deportable, um, and and that's really one of the biggest benefits from the DACA program. Aside from the ability and the privilege to work lawfully, it was the ability to just breathe and be here in the U.S. knowing that I'm not going to be deported, um, at least for the, for the time being. Um, you know, looking over our shoulders when doing Christmas shopping, you know, is a, is a big deal here, especially for those of us that live in a border town, uh, where where I do here in San Diego, where we have presence from ICE and presence from Border Patrol. 
So we have a double deportation force here in our border town. Uh, so DACA provided us this, this relief, knowing that we were not going to be uh, deportable until our DACA expired. Not that, that that DACA has been rescinded and it was uh, taken away by this president on September 5th of 2017. Um, you know, this, this fight has been going on for a year now trying to restore the DACA program. Um, but one of the biggest benefits was knowing that we're not going to be deported. And now it, that is that is big, that is huge for us um, because every day we have to live with this constant fear of, you know, today the last day I'm going to see my family, today the last day I'm going to be able to work and be here. Um, and certainly our DACA permits have an expiration date on them. And so when the president was in the program a year ago, we all knew what that expiration date meant for each one of us. We all knew um, we, we were going to be here in the U.S. until that date, and then we were going to be deportable. And, you know, combine that with the fact that Jeff Sessions announced immediately when the president uh, won that no one in the U.S. is safe if we're undocumented, well, we certainly uh, live in fear since the decision of the DACA program. Um, you know, Jeff Sessions has made it clear a year ago if we were undocumented, we should be afraid. And that certainly has been the case uh, in okay. the last year. Okay. Now, uh, approximately how many uh, people are there in the country who benefit or uh, had benefited from, from DACA that now have this exposure to deportation? Over 700,000 DACA recipients um, have been able to benefit from this program. Um, okay. the, the DREAM Act that we're fighting for would uh, cover 1.2 million people. Um, okay. And, and so it's a lot more expensive. But the people that actually applied for DACA um, were over 700,000 people that have been able to contribute to our economy. Okay. Now, you and several other DACA recipients have filed a lawsuit against the Trump administration uh, about DACA. Uh, could you tell us the, the purpose and where that all stands at this point? Yes. Um, so the rescission of the DACA program happened on September 5th, 2017. We filed the lawsuit September 18th, just a few days after that, uh, 2017. Um, we were able to win an injunction in January that restores the DACA program partially. And that's here in California, but it applied nationwide. Um, so that order stands as of today. Uh, we just received notice from the Ninth Circuit um, affirming that, that order. Um, so as of today, we are able to renew our DACA permit. But uh, a lot of people that had not applied for DACA for one reason or another, uh, maybe perhaps they were waiting to turn um, 16 years old to apply, um, or maybe they were scared for whatever reason, or they just maybe didn't have the filing space. Um, those people are not able to apply. So if they didn't have DACA, they are not able to apply anymore. Um, so, but we were able to uh, restore the program partially. We don't have advanced parole, which we had prior to the decision of the program. And advanced parole allowed us to travel for educational, business, or humanitarian reasons. 
um, some, as of today, for example, some of our community members have had deaths in the family. Um, one member, for example, here in San Diego, her dad was deported and killed in Mexico. And the student can't travel to Mexico because we don't have a dance there anymore. Uh, and then we have other community members whose family, whose grandpa, for example, is sick abroad um, on the deathbed, quite literally, and, and that person can't travel to visit. Um, and so that part of the program, Advanced School, allowed us to travel. Um, that ha was not restored. So the whole entire DACA program was not entirely restored, um, but, you know, it's a win in court. Those of us that benefited from DACA can continue to benefit, at least for the time being. Okay, so what what is the the outlook as far as uh, this advancing through the the court system? Uh, what what do you anticipate will will happen next, or what what is your next move? Yeah, well, there were five lawsuits total, total uh, against the administration uh, for the decision of the DACA program right, or involving okay. the DACA program. Um, ours was the first one to be filed uh, and the first one by DACA recipients to be filed um, here in California. There's one in New York, uh, Maryland, D.C., and Texas as well. But our lawsuit was the one that was able to obtain an injunction uh, restoring the program partially. Um, and our lawsuit is the one that was heard already here in the Ninth Circuit on the first level of appeal. Uh, so ours is likely to be the one to make it to the Supreme Court first. Um, it could be as early as next, early next year. Um, and and so, uh, really, honestly, before we received uh, the opinion from the Ninth Circuit, uh, you know, we were we were a little scared to know what would happen if we were to make it to the Supreme Court, especially given the competition now. Uh, with the two newly, um, the new justices on the on the Supreme Court, but uh, after the opinion, uh, I am actually very content and and, and actually excited because uh, we have been restored hope. Uh, the Ninth Circuit um, gave a, a decision, an opinion that, based on the language, sounds very favorable to us. The very first sentence on it starts off with, um, it is no hyperbole to say that Lisa Garcia embodies the American dream. That signals to us that the judges were listening to our arguments, to our declarations, that they see us as American as well. Um, and, and that sentence is so significant to us because we have been in this movement for so long, uh, fighting just for the recognition that we are here in the U.S. and we're just as American as everyone else except for this piece of paper that says that we're not citizens. Um, I consider myself an American. That's how I've seen myself um, for many years. You know, as I mentioned, 30 years here in the U.S., this is all I know. I've fallen in love with the laws here in the U.S., and I understand that there's a need for reforming a, a lot of our systems and laws in place. But this is the, this is the country that I've come to, to love um, and the only one that I, I know. So the language that was used in the opinion um, seems very promising to us that if they were to make it to the Supreme Court or when it makes it to the Supreme Court, um, I don't think we have much to fear. I think the law is on our side, and I think we have done a, a good job of um, essentially uh, explaining our humanity 
to not just these judges, but also to the American public uh, in general. You know, this, like I mentioned, this fight has been going on for decades now. Um, and the first time the Dream Act was introduced was in 2001. I was in high school. I was just graduating from high school, and you know, we, here we are in 2018, and we still don't have a path to citizenship. So this has been a long time coming. Um, it's it's time for us to get a, a permanent path to citizenship. But in the meantime, it, it seems promising once it gets to the Supreme Court, based on the very favorable language that was used uh, by the judges in the Ninth Circuit. Okay. Now, uh, are you working with uh, anyone in in Congress to introduce uh, another bill that would provide a pathway to citizenship? Well, I, we we know that if the Dream Act were to be placed on the floor, uh, it would have the votes necessary to pass in the House. We believe that very strongly, um, and. Because of that, and because the research shows that about 80%, and depending on what research you look at, it's that somewhere between 70 to 80% of the American public wants to keep us here. Americans see us as Americans as they want to keep us here. Um, the downside to that is that the administration knows this, the president knows this, the president knows we're, we're uh, popular in a way, right? So much so that they're using us as political bargaining chips. So the administration recognizes that we should be here and that most people want to keep us here and we have support. And because of that, they want to use that to advance an anti-immigrant agenda. So we heard in the State of the Union address last year, uh, or actually this year, in January, that the president wants to use us to obtain a wall, to obtain more border patrol here, um, to reduce legal migration by a half. Right, what he calls chain migration that he used to bring his in-laws with uh, to the U.S., he wants to cut that in exchange for some sort of DACA fix that he calls a DACA fix. Um, now, for us, we're not for us streamers, especially those of us here at the border. We know that if we bring in more border patrols, then they're really going to be going after our parents. They're going to be going after community members. Um, I personally and many people here locally would rather remain undocumented than to think that the wall is getting built because of us. You know, we know that the wall is going to bring in more deaths. People are trying to cross through um, rigorous ways in, through the desert. It's only going to create more deaths. Um, and so for, for those of us um, that are DACA recipients, you know, we would rather remain undocumented than have our neighbors uh, deported or even our own parents deported. Um, at our expense. So the president knows uh, that he can use his, his political bargaining chips, and so they're the ones blocking uh, a Dream Act. Um, when we have gone to D.C. and I have met with um, both Republicans and Democrats, you know, it's not that they don't want us here, that they don't want to pass the citizenship, it's just they want that bill to also incorporate increased border enforcement. And that's where that's the difficulty we've had in, in negotiating for a dream act. Um, and, and so until we have a different composition in the Senate or, or we have this administration out of office, this president out of office, unfortunately I don't think we're going to have a, a dream act in place. Or not a clean one where we don't see more border patrol here in our, in our neighborhood. 
Okay. Now, we've been talking mostly about uh, DACA as a protection for those who are already here, uh, asylum for those who are trying to enter into the country. But there's another group that has been attacked by this administration. And uh, it was, I, I don't know what word I can think of to describe how, uh, how, how how this this action was, but but in a way the president is considering using his executive order privilege to end birthright citizenship. So can you can you talk about that? Can you explain what birthright citizenship is, and does uh, in your legal opinion does the president have the legal or constitutional authority to use an executive order to end it? Oh, no, absolutely not. Uh, it's a ridiculous idea, and again, it's the the, the fear that he creates uh, in our in our immigrant community. Um, it's just uh, it's it's absolutely crazy that he thinks the president thinks that he can undo uh, undo birthright citizenship, and by birthright citizenship would mean that just by the mere fact of being born within the U.S. territory, uh, you are a U.S. citizen. Um, I really don't think he has the legal power. Um, I don't even think he thinks that he has the legal power to do that. I hope not. Um, but it's just another fear ta- tactic. Um, he has been attacking even citizenship before he made this ridiculous statement. You know, he created a fraud task force to go after people that have acquired citizenship already uh, through the legal process and through naturalization. And now he's going back to look at those files from decades ago to see that they committed fraud. Um, and so, again, that was just another fear tactic. It's a, it's a misuse of resources to go back to files that are 20, 25 years old to see if somebody committed fraud, just to, again, send out the message that even if you're a U.S. citizen, you're not safe with this administration. Um, and so, it's, uh, honestly, I think it's just another way to scare communities, um, to to so that people that are thinking of coming into the U.S. are dissuaded from doing so. You know the 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 uh, Dulce, the, the the thing about this that really uh, infuriates me so much is no one in this country is not an immigrant. Everyone here is an immigrant unless they're Native American. Everybody came here from somewhere unless they're Native American. So nobody can make the claim that one is better than another or we should let this group in and keep this group out. Uh, Obviously, we do need some some checkpoints uh, and just not open our borders without having some type of vetting. I'm not saying that, but uh, this whole immigration dispute is just so ridiculous. Uh, it, it's hard to believe that intelligent people would have those those kinds of opinions. We're going to come back and talk more about this later. Uh, right now, uh, if you would like to share your viewpoint about DACA and immigration, or if you have a question for our guest, give us a call at 563-999-3660. Because your viewpoint matters. That number again is 563 999 3660. 
When we return, we're going to discuss the Central American Migrant March, ICE, and immigration policies. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Today we decided to walk to school. The light counted. 15, 14, 31, I mean 13. We took a left on Carroll Street. Danny's smart, but he gets distracted. I realized he forgot his homework. I hope he doesn't have another bad day at school. When you can see learning and attention issues from their side, you can be on their side. That's why there's understood.org, a free resource for the parents of the one in five kids with learning and attention issues. Go from misunderstanding to understood.org. Brought to you by Understood and the Ad Council. Listen and imagine. It takes five seconds to send a text, and for those five seconds, you're driving blind. Life is worth more than a text. Stay alive. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org, a message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, Noise, and the Ad Council. CWR Talk Network is not just another talk radio network. It's not just cliches. It's more than a slogan. It's our identity as America's voice for championing important causes and issues like reading literacy. Host and producer Joanne Burrow tackles this issue in a number of ways on her show, Read, Read, Read. The first and third Saturday of each month, 12 p.m. Eastern, and 11 a.m. Central Time. Read, Read, Read is more than a program. It is an initiative started by Ms. Burrell to attack the problem of reading literacy and reading proficiency with the ultimate goal of expanding the program to include mentors to help students with not only reading skills, but also life skills. She also invites interesting guests to come on her program to discuss their challenges with reading as well as their joy and appreciation of reading. Some of the guests are authors who discuss their books and offer their insight into the importance of reading and being good readers. Join Joanne the first and third Saturday of every month at 12 p.m. Eastern and 11 a.m. Central Time for Read, 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 exclusively on your network for causes, issues, and life empowerment, the CWR Talk Network. You're listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag one million strong. 
thank you for joining us for tonight's edition of Donnell Edwards Viewpoints. We are talking with immigration attorney and activist, Ms. Dulce Garcia, who is one of six DACA recipients who have filed a lawsuit against the Trump administration as a result of the administration's efforts to end the DACA program. Before we uh, went on our commercial break, uh, you had mentioned, uh, Dulcia, the fear tactics that are used by this administration. And one of the things that's been dominating the news for the last several weeks is uh, the fact that President Trump is using the Central American Migrant March to incite fear by describing the marchers as terrorists, criminals, uh, contending that it, the, the group includes members of MS-13, uh, he sent thousands of troops to the southern border. So what should people know first about the reasons the marchers decided to leave their homeland? And second, is there any reason to believe this propaganda being promoted by the Trump administration? Right. Um, well, first of all, the people that are traveling from South Central America uh, to our ports of entry, um, they're coming here to ask for asylum. They're presenting themselves at the port. Um, they're not seeking to invade our country. They're not seeking to jump over fences and, and to do it in a violent manner. They are precisely fleeing violence in their home country. Um, they are fleeing never-ending violence. And a lot of that, a lot of these uh, displaced people are fleeing violence that was um, in one way, whether directly or indirectly, caused by our policies and our meddling in our home countries as well. And, you know, it's a, it's a very complicated issue when the U.S. intervenes and creates refugees abroad but then is unwilling to ex accept these people that are fleeing as a result of our policies uh, abroad, right? They're, the people that are seeking help have traveled for thousands of miles with their families, with their children, uh, enduring so many difficulties along the way, uh, including uh, the weather itself, for example, some really cold nights. Uh, we've seen some images of, of them uh, crossing rivers, uh, to cross the, the different multiple borders, um, and then they present themselves to our ports of entry and ask for asylum. So if they're not doing it in a way that the president tries, attempts to portray them, you know, as invading our country. Uh, there are only a few thousand people that are doing this. Uh, when you look at the big picture and you look at migration as a whole, when we have a million people migrating to the U.S., a couple thousand people. Is just a drop in the, in the bucket. It's not an invasion. Uh, these are people that are unarmed. Uh, many women and children are, make up the caravan, um, and many fathers are coming um, to do seek a better life, right, or have life um, and, and dignity and respect, things that they cannot have in their home countries. Uh, none of them are coming for pleasure. None of them are coming just to visit. They're coming because they have to, because they're looking at situations that are a matter of life and death. Um, and so, again, the president has chosen, instead of providing more judges or translators 
or waste the process of these people. Uh, instead, the president has militarized our border and made it seem like it's a war zone when, when there's no war going on here at the border. Uh, there's no invasion happening the way that the president attempts to portray it. Uh, these are people asking for their rightful, legal right under international and domestic law. Um, and so they're not seeking to jump across the border. Uh, they just want to be processed, and they do want to go through this, this uh, vetting process as well. So uh, it's it's a matter of optics, really. When the president sends over the military at a time when there is no war here and starts to um, shut down lanes uh, and show presence of armed men, all it does is creating chaos, including for those that are um, transient people. Here at the border, we have even U.S. citizens living in Tijuana, crossing the border daily because it's more affordable to live on the Mexican side. You know, over a million people cross uh, our, our borders every day. This port of entry here in San Diego, for example, is the busiest port of entry in the world, or one of the busiest ones. And instead of spending money and resources to modernize it, instead we're militarizing it. And it's a misuse of service of our tax dollars and our resources, and it creates a a sense of fear for both sides, for for those people that are in Tijuana and our Mexican citizens that come to shop, for example, on this side of the border. Um, And and they now are finding themselves with military presence at the port of entry. Um, And it creates uh, a sense of fear for those that are fleeing violence, arriving to this port of entry to turn themselves in, and then they're welcomed with armed men uh, in uniform. Uh, We have to consider that a lot of these people that are fleeing violence are fleeing violence from their own government, and so they have already a mistrust of their government. And and instead of welcoming, welcoming them in a compassionate manner, here we are showing a strong military presence. It's just, it's pretty, it's a disturbing image um, for for anyone, and it should be a disturbing image for anyone, um, seeing that whether they are for um, migration or not. And, and again, these are not um, people that are seeking to be undocumented. These are people that are presenting themselves at the border with their families to go through these uh, to the through the legal process of uh, applying for asylum. Okay, uh, I believe in making the contrast between this group and the number that uh, enter the the country on an annual basis. You mentioned it's about uh, a million immigrants come to the United States annually. Is that correct? Yeah, and um, those are lawful immigrants. Those are people that become lawful immigrants, uh, people that, um, for example, adjust their status and – and, and when we look at the numbers that way and, and when we look at how many people become U.S. citizens every year, you know, over 750,000 people become U.S. citizens. They go from, for example, legal permanent residents to legal citizens, U.S. citizens. Um, then those numbers, you know, when we talk about the caravan coming in, 400 people, 500 people, 1,000 people, like that is nothing. Uh, it's not a crisis. It's not something to be alarmed by. It's just a matter of allocating resources so that we have judges here that can hear those claims, so we have uh, officers that can process them adequately. Um, and instead, we are 
creating a situation where they are detained, and so therefore takes them longer to uh, pre- to go through the process um, because this, this president has created a, a, again a disincentive. You know, if, if families are not have to have to think twice. Um, do I stay in my home country and risk being killed in my home country, or do I risk uh, being separated from my children at the border, at the border, at the U.S. border, and pro- perhaps going through a detention center for months? Um, and and so the reason why this president is doing it is precisely to dissuade people from even considering to come to the U.S. But again, most people that are making or making this long journey, it's because they have to. It's because they are fearing death in their home country and fearing the violence that they're experiencing every day, where they don't see a life anymore in their home country. Um, and okay. so they have to. They must flee their country to come and ask for help here. And so, uh, unfortunately, um, it's it's a ridiculous idea by the president to think that. By by incarcerating these families and putting them in essentially internment camps, that they're gonna not come uh, anymore. That it's just not gonna happen. Okay, uh, there is uh, there are some who think like the president, and who feel that we allow too many people to come into the country on an annual basis. For example, fair. Uh, which is an acronym for the Federation for American Immigration Reform, uh, would like to reduce the number from the existing million or so on an annual basis. They would like to reduce that number to about 300,000. Is that realistic? It really isn't. When we have a demand here for labor, uh, it really isn't realistic. If we are, if we reduce the uh, number of people that are allowed to become uh, legal permanent residents, um, then or to, to and, and when the president creates policies that dissuade people from entering the country lawfully, um, all it does is it's creating undocumented people in the U.S. So, for example, um, the very clear example is the IRA IRA law of uh, 1996. Um, that law in uh, 1996 is, stands for Illegal Immigrant Immigration Reform and Immigrant Responsibility Act. It created bars for people to migrate lawfully. So there's an estimated 11 million people undocumented in the U.S. today. Of those 11 million, 5 million are undocumented precisely because this law created bars to legal uh, migration. So even if you have a U.S. citizen spouse, U.S. U.S. citizen children, and normally you would benefit from family unification. This law from 1996 on the books uh, prevents these people from adjusting their status and be and be here lawfully and contribute to our economy lawfully. So if we don't want to create policies that create more undocumented folks, um, then we have to think realistically. And reducing the number to 300,000 is just it's ridiculous when we have a need for labor from these people, right? And um, really, if we keep them undocumented, all it does is just it keeps us oppressed. But we're still going to be here in the U.S. We're still going to see migration. People, as long as there's a need for labor on this side of the border, and as long as there's a supply 
of um, labor coming across. You know, it's, it's either going to be lawful migration or undocumented. So, um, like, for example, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> undocumented or not, I'm going to stay here in the U.S. This is all I know. With or without DACA, uh, I'm fighting really hard to stay here in the U.S. so that I'm not in, in the shadows again, but I'm going to be here. And so the question becomes, do you want me here lawfully working and creating jobs because I do employ your citizens, or do you want me to fall back into the shadows because that's really the only two things, uh, the only two options? Because I don't think deporting 11 million people is reasonable either. And if we cut down migration to 300, legal migration to 300,000, then all we're going to do is create more undocumented people in the U.S. Okay, very good answer. You know, uh, again, there are those who think like the president and who feel that the immigrants that come here don't contribute to society, don't contribute to our economy, but they come here to take advantage of the social programs and put a burden on our taxpayers. So in answer to that question, in what ways do immigrants offset the cost and, uh, for services they may receive, and how do they contribute to the economy? Right. Well, the, the beauty of the DACA program is that we have been able for the last five years to document our contributions to the economy by way of taxes and labor. And as I gave you the example earlier, um, we pay onto the Social Security system without ever getting a single dollar out from it. Um, and by educating ourselves, these uh, DACA recipients now, a lot of them have now uh, finished school. A lot of them have become property owners, business owners. Uh, I gave you my own example. I employ U.S. citizens. I have my business. I'm a property owner. So I pay property taxes, and I pay onto the Social Security system. I, I pay employer taxes as well. So we, the numbers show, and if you go just by the uh, contributions to the economy, the numbers show uh, if you rescind the DACA program, it's going to cost um, the GDP, the gross domestic product, by $4.6 I think, uh, in the next 10 years, uh, just by rescinding the DACA program. And so for the last five years, we've been able to essentially prove our worth to this country. Uh, it makes sense to keep us here working lawfully. Now, for those of us that have worked in the shadows, or for example, our parents that work uh, nevertheless undocumented but still contribute to the system, you know, we're paying to the social security system again without ever getting a single dollar back from it because we're not able to access that money. So, the, for example, the, US, the social security system administration has a fund, um, an account with billions of dollars in it that they can't associate uh, with anyone because that's, you know, we make up social security numbers um, and so we can't tap uh, us, uh, undocumented folks. We can't tap into that money, but it's there. And so, yes, we do use resources when we go to school, but this country is better off um, by educating us. Right? It makes sense to keep us here because we do contribute through our labor, through our taxes, through uh, culture, uh, we contribute in many ways. Um, and so we do use some resources. It's not nearly enough to, in comparison to the contributions that we offer. And it would make sense 
to legalize this all, uh, legalize the, our, our work, because uh, the numbers show. You know, with the backup program, that's a really good, it could be like a pilot. You know, it's a good way to prove that that the numbers are on our side and contribute to the economy. And really, that's the reason why 11 million people can't be deported, because we're still working in the field, uh, doing the work that many people don't want to do, um, you know, we're still working in your homes. We're still cleaning uh, hospitals and hotels and, and doing the work that other people, other U.S. citizens don't want to do. It's just a matter of just this country has to decide, do we want to keep 11 million people oppressed uh, without the dignity and respect of working lawfully, or do we keep them in the shadows, essentially? Because deporting 11 million people, I don't think that's an option. Okay. Now, uh, the reality of the matter, though, is because of the world that we live in today, with so much terrorism around the world, uh, the growth of violent gangs like MS-13 that we mentioned previously, uh, the prevalence of those from other countries uh, with violent criminal backgrounds, uh, there are some real concerns about keeping these violent elements from entering the country. So. Uh, how do you suggest that we protect our borders from such individuals while at the same time providing opportunities for those who are really in need to legally enter the United States? Right. Well, let me just start by saying the MS-13 gang started in L.A., right? That's a product of of the U.S., and that um, gang actually migrated to the South, really, um, you know, those folks were deported to the south, but that gang started here in L.A., so the U.S. really should take responsibility for it here. Um, and, and again, when, when we talked earlier about the caravan and people fleeing violence, and that's one of the policies that started here and in in, in, in one of the uh, results of, of direct um, U.S. meddling. Um, and secondly, uh, there's already 11 million people here undocumented, again, as I mentioned, contributing. We're just waiting to be, to be given an opportunity to come out of the shadows and contribute lawfully to the U.S. There's no, there's no reason why providing a path to citizenship for us, um, I mean, that has nothing to do with terrorism or the growth of filing gangs. Um, so for those of us that are already here in the U.S. undocumented, uh, providing a comprehensive immigration reform uh, really has nothing to do with terrorism or gangs. And as we know, and the research shows repeatedly, the border towns here in the U.S. are the safest towns in, in, the, in the U.S. So here in San Diego, um, the bordering towns like Chilvis and San Diego, in San Diego County, uh, we're among the safest cities in the U.S. And it's in great part because of our immigrant community both documented and, and, and lawful immigrants here in the, in the U.S. So that, there is no correlation except that um, the safest cities are because of our immigrant community. Um, so I don't think that there is a contradiction with um, the number of visas that we should provide uh, with uh, violent gangs and terrorism. It's just when the president uses those words in the same sentences, when it uses the words immigrants and violence and gangs, it just to create fear. Um, I, I really don't understand these people with their argument that 
that there is any correlation between uh, violence and terrorism and, and allowing people to come in legally into the U.S. Um, but as so long as we still need uh, immigrants in this country, uh, we should be letting them. We should be letting immigrants in. Um, you know, the, there's a new, a new research that came out that says uh, Mexicans in the U.S. are leaving at the same rate as they're coming in. So if there's for there's really since the year 2000, there has been a net migration from Mexico. So the president might make it seem like there's a crisis that there's Mexicans inviting, invading the U.S., but really there's not many leaving the U.S. And so, again, um, immigrants make this country uh, more vibrant and we provide labor, and we're actually contributing to the economy overall um, and, and not really accessing just benefits at the rate that, that um, FAIR and other organizations, anti-immigrant organizations are uh, alleging. Um, it's just, again, a matter of deciding whether we want to keep uh, immigrants oppressed um, or whether we want immigrants to be part of our society out of the shadows and working lawfully and contributing to our country and, be, and essentially being in, in part of the system just like any other U.S. citizen. Right? But I can see why these uh, anti-immigrant Organizations don't want us, for example, voting. Um, you know, I can see why they would assume that we would vote Democrat, for example, and they would want us to be part of the system, right? And then that's that's another reason why DACA has so much support as well, um, but we still don't have a path to citizenship. I think it's another way to keep us oppressed because I'm working, I'm contributing, yet I don't have a say, for example, in the jury room. I can't participate as a as a member of, of a jury, I can't vote, um, and, and there's many other things that I can't do so long as I'm not a U.S. citizen. Um, and but then yet I'm provided a work permit um, to keep me in line, and, renew, and it's renewable every two years. Where I have to go through this background check every two years, and I have to pay for this uh, privilege. So uh, you know, it's just a matter of deciding how we want to treat our immigrant community. Okay. But uh, for for those who still have concerns about who we're letting into the country, uh, are you saying that you feel that uh, the current vetting process will identify anyone who may be, be a threat to our safety? Oh, yes, definitely. As I mentioned, we go through an extreme vetting process. Um, and if we look at um, if we look at who has been committing acts of terrorism within the U.S., it's white men, right? When we look at all the instances okay. where uh, there has there has been domestic terrorism here, uh, it's been white men. It hasn't been immigrants. And okay. uh, you know the MAGA movement can provide pictures of uh, one or two people that were killed by uh, an immigrant at some point. If you look at the overall numbers, the safest towns are the ones that are at the border because of our immigrant community, because uh, immigrants, and the research shows, uh, tend to follow the law. And and if we go through this extreme vetting process, uh, we can't commit crimes or otherwise we're deported. 
Um, so, like in my case, for example, for for DACA, you know, we can't be felons because then we don't qualify for DACA. Um, okay. And same thing for a, a legal permanent residents. You know, we're still uh, we can't commit crimes or otherwise we're deported. Um, so this extreme vetting process that we already go through, um, you know, that 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 suffices. That should be enough. And the research shows. Um, you know, the, and, and when we look at trends, you know, we're not the ones committing uh, these acts of terrorism. Okay. Looks like we have a caller on the line, so we'll go to this call right now. Uh, hello, this is Daniel Edwards' Viewpoints. You are live on the air. Uh, do you have a question, please? Well, I had a uh, sort of a comment. I understand okay. what the uh, lady is saying, but, uh, you know, the cause and effect when you uh, when something is done wrong, it usually have effects down the line. Now I uh, support this president's uh, immigration and the things that he put out there, immigration reform and the things he put out during his his campaign. One of the reasons I voted for him. Uh, there's nothing wrong with immigration as long as it's done correctly. A DACA was supposed to have been temporarily. I think that when people come to the country illegally and bring their kids, well, that there should be some concern for them to put their children in that sort of uh, situation. And the the people that's in the caravan, uh, the rules were supposed to be that you go to the adjacent country borders and ask for permission to seek asylum. But this caravan is walking right through Mexico. I think that's wrong. Every country is sovereign, has a right to protect its borders, and set its immigration policy. That's my comment on it. Okay. We thank you very much for that, sir. We really do appreciate that. Okay. Dosa, uh, do you have a uh, follow-up comment? Um, yes. Well, the use of uh, protect the borders, I, I have an issue with that because, again, they are not invading this country, right? The people that are seeking for asylum, um, they have this legal right by international and domestic law, and they don't necessarily have to go apply it with Mexico, uh, given that Mexico itself is not a safe country. So they ha- they are um, able to travel travel through Mexico and come to our borders and and seek for asylum here, um, because there is no other country that they they can go to, uh, because Mexico itself is not safe, and there are Mexican citizens also asking for asylum here at our port of entry. Uh, I, I, as far as DACA goes being uh, temporary, yes, ideally I would want a past citizenship, um, but this, this, this president took DACA away, which signals to us we're, not, we're, not, we're far from getting a past citizenship at this point, and we're just fighting to remain here in the U.S. Um, and so uh, you know, I respect this person's um, view, and I think it's, it's uh, factually wrong. Uh, I don't think that this person is fully aware of, of um, all the, the facts, you know. But I hope that the, that the, the mere fact of, of saying we're going to stick to the law to protect our borders, uh, you know, it's, it's not. Um, it doesn't make sense to me. Um, but this, this person obviously has uh, his own opinion and. If by now I haven't been able to change his mind to look at us in a more humane way, in a more compassionate way, and to show a little bit more compassion to our 
uh, brothers and sisters coming from the south, then you know, I, I, I don't think by showing him um, the economic benefits to, to have an immigrant in this country or showing this person uh, images of kitten cages, I don't think that that's going to change this person's mind. Okay. Now, uh, we kind of touched on this earlier, but uh, I want to I go back and revisit this because it's so important. In recent months, uh, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, which is commonly known as, as ICE, has been given uh, extreme authority, uh, which many question the legality and constitutionality of, to remove people from their homes, their jobs, and to separate parents from their children. What's being done uh, to prevent ICE from abusing their authority in this way? Right. There has been lawsuits. Uh, there has been a lot of pushback from our community. You know, now we're chanting abolish ICE in the streets where a year ago we weren't even, you know, we weren't even thinking of, of uh, starting a campaign such as abolish ICE. Um, the media has played a great role in this, in humanizing our stories and humanizing uh, immigrants. Um, but really it has been also uh, an issue in, pub- in the public court. You know, the, when... Uh, again, when the president engaged children at the border, um, it was because of public pressure that the president caved in and, and decided to, instead of engaging children, to engage families together. Um, and so it's because of the public uh, pressure um, that we have been able to gain um, some sort of ground. But they have, this, this administration has um, given so much power to ICE and Border Patrol that we have seen things that we didn't see or could even think of uh, being possible uh, with the prior administrations, whereas, for example, um, a very, very good example is Maria Hernandez, 10 years old, with favor policy, was chased by Border Patrol for, I think, 100 miles uh, on her way to the hospital. And then she goes through surgery, and instead of waking up to her mother, she wakes up to federal agents right, surrounding her. And then they place her in a, a detention center. And this is a 10-year-old with cerebral palsy. Uh, this would not have been thinkable with the prior administration, but that's happening with this administration. We have community members that were checking in with ICE yearly uh, because they don't have a criminal history, but they were at some point apprehended by immigration officials. And so they would be checking in every year with ICE, and they have U.S. citizen children, some even U.S. citizen spouses, and now are getting deported uh, because ICE doesn't have discretion anymore to uh, have a little bit of sensitivity and compassion in these stories. You know, uh, one clear example is Gaston here in San Diego. We were rallying outside of the ICE offices when he was checking in, and he was deported. He has a U.S. citizen children, U.S. citizen child with a autistic, who's autistic. And so now imagine having to explain to this autistic child. I'm sorry, your dad was deported. Your best friend has been deported. Um, you know, it's just, I understand that there are laws in the books that need to be enforced, but there's just some laws that do require discretion in applying them and a little bit of compassion and humanity in the way we apply them. Uh, I understand our need to protect our borders from terrorism. These cases are not about terrorism or gangs or crime. These are just Immigrants that have been here for decades, making a living here, um, having families here, and then we're deporting them. These are people that have become members of our community, 
and are now deported. Um, that makes no sense to me, whether whether there's a law that says that they're deportable or not. It, it makes no sense to me from the human side. Um, so when we say what have we, what have we been doing to combat all of this power that I've had, well, it's really just been in the media and, and our public discourse. And um, until we have this administration changed, we're going to be seeing a lot of stories like Maria's and Gaston where... Um, and then there was another case, too, where, where I think it was a six-month-old baby that was also uh, chased by an ambulance, um, I'm sorry, in an ambulance, chased by Border Patrol uh, in Texas. And we're going to keep seeing things like that until we have a change in this policy where they have no discretion, where they have so much power. Um, it just uh, it makes no sense to me as a, as a human being um, to, to have these policies in place. Okay, very good. Now, uh, I would like to ask you, too, for our listeners who are interested in helping, uh, how may they help and where can they get uh, information about how to help? Right. Well, we have a group here in San Diego called San Diego Border Dreamers. Um, we have been involved in attempting to get legislation in place uh, for DREAMers and for our community. And um, if people want to donate either uh, money or things for the caravan, like blankets and jack- jackets for, for people fleeing violence in Central America, they certainly can contact me at uh, Garcia Law Firm, CA at Gmail, or look me up on Facebook um, under Garcia Law Firm. Um, or San Diego Border Dreamer. Um, the, we're going to keep going in this fight until we, until we have dignity and respect for our community, whether it's on this side of the border or for those people that are coming from Central America fleeing violence, um, because uh, we do need to change the laws. I agree with the gentleman that called earlier. Um, the, we do need to be more compassionate, though, in the way that we exercise our immigration laws. Um, again, it, with the struggles of parents, with a pen, we can uh, create uh, 11 million people. We can make them um, legal permanent residents. The same way that the law in '96 created 5 million undocumented people, we can undo that. Um, and, and I think it's time that we undo that. It'll include me, it'll include my parents in that. Um, and when, when the numbers show that it makes economic sense, and when we have been members of our community for decades now, I, I don't understand why people would want to see me deported, knowing that I'm benefiting our community, that I'm, I'm doing so much for my community. Like I really do not understand why somebody would want to see me deported when this is all I know, um, unless it's racism. And it took me a long time, and I didn't want to admit this, um, but after so much evidence and, and hearing all the rhetoric from the president, you know, I have no choice but to say he's racist, and that's really the only reason why these um, these laws are being followed so rigidly. You know, there were there have been laws in the books before that have been inhumane. You know, a clear example of it is slavery. Um, and, you know, we know what happened with the Nazi movement, and if we don't learn from history, we're bound to repeat it, and we're leaving that today. I understand there are laws in the in the books, but we can certainly change them, and we can change them to move forward and and, and acknowledge the presence of immigrants. And 
you know, just to be acknowledged um, the way we were acknowledged in the Ninth Circuit opinion, that we are here in the U.S. contributing um, to be recognized as an American, you know, it means so much to us. And, again, if you look at the numbers and the reason why border towns are safer, it's because of our immigrant community. So uh, you know, I, just, I just hope that we're able to win comprehensive immigration reform, uh, if not with this administration, certainly with the next one. Okay. Uh, those who thank you so much for helping us to better understand uh, DACA and immigration policies, and we wish you and the uh, others who have joined with you in your lawsuit success, and we really appreciate you for taking time away from your very busy schedule. We know you're very active and very involved, uh, and we thank you for being with us tonight to, uh, to help us uh, better understand this very, very important issue. And we hope we have helped to uh, inform uh, those who have listened so that they have a, a better appreciation and, as you were mentioning, uh, more compassion and more respect for those who are affected. So thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me and to your listeners. Okay. Now, next week, our program will be on Monday. Uh, well, not next week, but I mean our next program is going to be on Monday, December 3rd. We're going to kind of take a holiday break uh, next uh, the next couple of weeks. But on December 3rd, uh, the program is, was originally scheduled for October 22nd, was rescheduled, and this is a makeup program for that. Our guest will be weight loss expert Sonny Brooks of Neuro Weight Loss. Can the brain be trained to help us lose weight? Join us on Monday, December 3rd, on Donnell Edwards Viewpoints, and find out. Until then, have a great week, and whatever you do, make sure that you become a difference maker. You're listening to the CWR Talk Network, America's voice for causes, issues, and life empowerment. This is the CWR Talk Network. Hashtag One Million Strong. Mm-hmm.